0: Get your notes out, let's go right to our text, our scripture we're using every week in this series. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. How many's thankful for the new? The old has gone and the new is here. How many glad Jesus did in your life? What, no counselor, no therapist, no person could, and thank God for all the above, but how many's found out there's some things in your life that only Jesus can fix, amen? And how many is glad for Jesus in your life today that you can declare, I may not be where I wanna be yet, but the old is gone and the new has come. And I'm enjoying this new person that Christ has making me. And I, what a joy it was yesterday to watch, and I was telling some of the people from the school system that were here, and I was going, that guy's story, he was a, he was a drug addict a year and a half ago, and, and Jesus saved him, and, and now he's one of our Dream Teamers. And that person over there, they were severely abused, and they've come through 20, 22 years of, of abuse, and, and, and they'd given up on life, but Jesus set them free and changed their life. And I get to just kept pointing and telling story after story. Come on, how many thankful for the grace and the work of Jesus in our lives, amen, amen? And so as we start this journey today, getting ready for uh, to complete this journey and go into a called The Path, I want us to look at this today because there's a first stop on the path that must be experienced before we can really get on the journey of knowing God, finding freedom, discovering our purpose, and thus making a difference, and that's called the Passover, the Passover. And and today is called Palm Sunday, the Sunday before the Sunday of Easter, and and I wanna share with you today this story and explain what the Passover is Because without it, as I've repeated over and over, Easter really has no meaning. You see the nation of Israel have been taken captive by the Egyptians. Pharaoh was in charge and there was a kind Pharaoh to Joseph and then when that Pharaoh died, a new one took over and he was very hostile toward the Israelites and he really added to their their task and really put more and more burdens on them and and so they're there and their, their task has been increased but they begin to multiply. And they begin to multiply so much that now there's like four to six million Israelites and Pharaoh got worried and nervous and he called his crew together. It's all in the Bible and just paraphrasing. And he said, hey, there's more of them than there is us now. What if they declared war on us? And he made a decree that all the firstborn males in the Israelites or in their Jewish people in the Israelite camp was to be put to death. Any future males, male boys born to the Israelite women they would immediately be thrown into the Nile River. Crocodiles get them and they're put to death. Well, that decree was made and, and there was this one lady, her name was Jacobed and she happened to be the, mo- the mother of this little guy named Moses that was born. And, and she had this baby and she refused to do that. And she hid Moses in her house and she hid him until he became too large and she couldn't hide him anymore so she built this little basket and she put Moses in it and stuck it in the Nile River and pushed him away, thinking that that would be the last time she would see her son, but she kept him alive as long as she could, not knowing that a little ways down that that Nile River, Pharaoh's, one of his relatives is there and she's bathing and washing and she sees this basket come by and she grabs it and instead of obeying the decree of Pharaoh, her own family, she had compassion on this baby and took him to herself, but she couldn't nurse him because she had not been with child. So she said, I need to find a Hebrew woman, an Israelite, that could nurse this baby for me. And they went and got Jochebed, Moses' own mother, not knowing it, and Pharaoh's daughter paid Moses' own mother to nurse her own son. Come on, God's got your situation when you don't even realize what he's doing, amen? And so here Moses now is taken into the home of the very Pharaoh that put the death threat on him and Moses is raised there for 40 years, thinking he's an Egyptian, thinking that he really belongs there. And one day he realizes and finds out that he's not really an Egyptian, he's an Israelite and he sees this Egyptian fighting this this Israelite, this Hebrew and he kills that Egyptian that was fighting and so he flees for his life and he runs out to the Midian desert. And he spends 40 years out there just wandering around with no purpose, no focus. He's empty. He's barren on the inside. Nowhere. His life's going nowhere. And all of a sudden, he's walking down this road one day, and there's this bush that he walked by. And that bush catches on fire and starts talking to him. That will mess you up. I mean, you're already down, you're already discouraged, you're already kind of in this pit, and all of a sudden you walk by and nobody lit a match. There's nobody there but you. There was no lightning bolt from the sky, just whoosh, bushes on fire. That's enough by itself, but then the thing starts talking. Like one preacher said, who needs drugs when you have the Bible, amen? Come on, (laughs) that's better than crack right there. And so Moses hears this bush talking to him and it tells him, I've called you, Moses. Now, it's enough when a bush starts talking to you, but when it's calling you by name, there's some serious stuff going on. And he tells Moses, this is God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I want you to go back to Pharaoh who put the death threat on you and I want you to tell him to let my people go. And Moses immediately responds to God, you got the wrong guy. And he gives God's five excuses on why he's not qualified. He finally, about the fourth one, he goes, I'm not eloquent with speech. And God goes, I don't see you having a problem arguing with me. Speech isn't an issue right now. And finally, Moses got honest on the fifth one and said, look, God, I just don't want to do it, okay? I don't want to go. God said, no, you're the guy and you're going. And so Moses goes and he tells Pharaoh, look, God met me in the bush and he told me to tell you this and you need to let God's people go and Pharaoh goes, that ain't happening. They're not going anywhere. Moses said, okay, then God told me to tell you there's 10 plagues that is about to fall on Egypt and you will let the people go. And the first nine plagues, Pharaoh, the Bible said, hardened his heart or God hardened his heart and refused to let the Israelites go. But then all of a sudden there was a 10th plague And the 10th plague was this, that God said there's a death angel that's going to go over Egypt and every house that does not have the blood of a specific lamb or goat applied to the doorpost and lintel of that house, a death angel is going to come through and he's going to kill the firstborn male of that house. And Pharaoh refused to let the Israelites go. But as Israel got together and Moses told the Israelites that they went out and they obeyed what God said and they selected a specific lamb or goat that we're gonna talk to you about in a minute and they killed it and they took the blood of that animal and they applied it to the doorpost and the lintel of their house. And the Bible says that that night, a death angel came through Egypt and every house that did not have the blood, that death angel came through and took the life of the firstborn male. But for every house that had the blood of the lamb, on the doorpost of that house, the death angel passed over. That's why it's called the Passover. And today we're going to celebrate the Passover because once the blood of Jesus has been applied to mine and your life, every force of darkness when it comes to the door of our heart has to over. Over, because all things—the old things have been made old, and the new things have been made new. I am a brand new person in Christ Jesus, my Lord. Come on, somebody. How I many thankful for the new? And so we see here that there was there was families in the Israelite camp, and I can see a father talking to his very nervous son, and his son going, "Dad, dad, are we going to live through the night? We heard about a death angel night." I hear a very strong father say, son, it's all right, it's okay, we've already heard from the prophet, we've already heard from Pastor Moses, he told us what to do, the blood's been applied, everything's gonna be fine, you sleep well tonight. And I see another little worried boy talking to his dad in the same household right across the street in the Israelites and going, dad, are we gonna make it? I see a very worried father going, I don't know, son, I don't know, all I know is Pastor Moses said to put some blood on the doorpost and the lintel of our house and, And all I know is we've done that. I don't know, son. I don't know what's going to happen. Guess who made it through the night? They both did. One was strong and confident. The other one was weak and unsure. But they both have the blood applied to the doorpost of their house and the lintel of their home. And I'm here to tell you today that on the day you're strong or on the day you're weak, it really doesn't matter as long as the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ has been applied to mine in your hearts. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, overcomers in the blood of the Lamb. And so I want us to look at this today. Exodus put it like this. He said in Exodus 12, he tells us about the Passover. What do you do? And when your children ask you, what does this mean? What does this ceremony mean because Jesus told the The Israelites, when they came out of Egypt and he set them free, he said, I want you to rest now. I want you to have some parties. The Jews love the party. If you've never been to Israel, You ever go to Israel, you're going to see some of the biggest partying you ever seen in your life. Man, you get around that western wall and you see about 5,000 Jewish people praying to the God of Abraham. You feel like you're in a party. I'm telling you something. It's amazing. You'll see hundreds of teenagers, elbow to elbow, clamped, locked in, marching around that wall, praying. I mean, it's powerful. But the Jewish people love the party. And so Jesus said, look, I'm going to create these festivals and I want you to celebrate throughout the year. And one of them is called the Passover. And here it is. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. And what he's saying here is just do the lamb thing over again. And every year they celebrated the Passover by going out and getting that specific lamb, that specific animal that we'll talk about in a moment and they would kill it and they would eat it, and they would celebrate that just as they killed the lamb and they put the blood on the doorpost of their home and and the death angel passed over, just like we celebrate communion, celebrating the death and resurrection of Jesus, they did it through this Passover feast and they were celebrating the night that there was a Passover over their house that the enemy could not come in and touch their family. Now let's fast forward from that moment, 1400 years, Jesus is now on the earth. His being a Jew has celebrated Passover each year that he was here. We are in the last night of the final week of Jesus' life. It is the night before he would go to the cross and die on Calvary. That's why I wanna preach it today. The week before we're gonna talk about the resurrection, I wanna talk to you about Calvary. What happened on that day? What's the Passover all about. Luke 22 says, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He knew he was about to go to the cross, but he said, for I tell you, I will not eat it again. Now he's already eaten of the Passover for several years But he said, this is the last time that I will eat the Passover with you of a lamb that has been slain, watch this, until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. What he said was, I'm about to die. But what y'all don't get yet is I am the lamb. And when I die, you won't need another lamb to pick from the flock. Because the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the earth, is about to hang on a cross and his blood is going to be shed and the fulfillment of my word is going to come and there won't need to be another lamb because I am the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world that the old can become gone and the new can come and we can declare that I am a new person in Christ Jesus my Lord. Come on, somebody give him praise today and so for 1400 years they had eaten of the natural lamb but they still didn't get it they still struggled they weren't free they still had their problems they had their hang-ups they they still had sin that was controlling their lives they they still had all this stuff that were broken and they, they weren't getting it. They were going through the ceremony, but they weren't experiencing the benefit of the blood. And Jesus said, You're not getting it, so I'm gonna die this time. Because I want you to get it, that he that knew no sin became sin, that you and I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He said, I want you to get it this time, and I want real freedom to come into your life. And then he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 through Apostle Paul, he said, Christ, our Passover Lamb has been sacrificed for us. I wanna share with you three requirements that was placed upon the natural lamb that was also placed upon Jesus, the spiritual lamb. Both had equal requirements that had to take place for them to be qualified to be that sacrifice so that we could experience a resurrection Sunday. Here it is, number one, the first requirement, get your notes out, is the lamb was perfect. The lamb had to be perfect. Now, lamb, the name lamb is mentioned 104 times in the Bible. It is the title referring to Jesus that is used more than any other title in the Bible, the lamb of God, Jesus, the lamb. It was the most common name given to him. And so there's a a real picture that God is trying to paint here through the Passover lamb. Number one, the lamb had to be perfect. Even John 1 29 says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He had to be perfect. The Lamb had to be selected. It had to be picked out as one that was spotless, without blemish, and without defect. In Exodus 12:5, the animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. You, you can't find one that's your, your weak one. And, and what he's saying there is, don't go get me some half-dead offering and put it on an altar and offer it to me. If, if it's gonna replace your sin, it's gonna, it's gonna uh, represent what I did in the Passover, I want the best you've got. And that lamb had to be a spotless lamb. And you see on Palm Sunday, Jesus came into the city on a donkey, The people waved willow branches on Palm Sunday that we celebrate today. And as Jesus came in the city on a donkey, isn't it pretty neat that the first time he came on a donkey representing peace, but the next time he comes it'll be on a white horse representing military power, declaring himself as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And and here he comes, he's he's entering the city and he's on a donkey and and, and people are waving willow branches and, and crying, Hosanna, Hosanna. And he comes into the temple and he sees that these people are, are selling lambs, that, that they're going in there and and the people had to bring their lamb to the priest to get it inspected that it qualified for the feast. And, and there were priests that were bad priests there and they were going, uh, that lamb's not good enough, but I've got one to sell you over here that is. And they were taking a very good lamb and and robbing the people and Jesus just turned the whole thing over because he don't put up with that kind of stuff. But he was saying to us that there has to be a perfect lamb, a lamb that's without spot or without blemish. And why is that important? Why did the lamb have to be perfect? You cannot clean what's dirty with something that's dirty. You can't make something pure out of something that's not pure. And Jesus said the lamb had to be without spot or wrinkle because Jesus was spotless so he could take on our spots. He was sinless so he could take on our sin. He was the perfect one. Jesus, the only one who qualified to free us from our sin. You can worship Muhammad, but he's got a lot of junk in the trunk. You can go celebrate Buddha, but he's got some stuff going on in his world. But Jesus is the only one being worshiped today that had a perfect spotless track record that he that knew no sin became sin, that you and I might stand today and be called the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He bore our sins in his body on the cross so today that you and I no longer have to be a slave to that sin. It's a perfect lamb. Number two, the lamb had to be sacrificed. had to be sacrificed, Exodus 12, six. It says, take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel will what? Slaughter them at midnight. When they took that natural lamb, they didn't just kill it, they slaughtered it. And Jesus was giving us an example of what had to happen to the spiritual lamb himself. Jesus suffered the most excruciating pain a human could endure, but yet he never spoke a word. The prophet Isaiah, he saw it before it ever got here. In Isaiah 53, he said, talking about Jesus the Lamb, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. He was punished, and it brought peace that was placed upon him. And by his wounds, the scourging, the beating, we are healed the four wounds of the cross, pierced, crushed, punished, wounded. You see what happened on Good Friday? was good for us, but it wasn't good for him. It was horrible. That day started out for Jesus at a whipping post. And at that whipping post, they had professional scourgers. A scourge was a whip that had many pieces of leather hanging from it, and they would tie to the ends of that lever nails and metal and glass, anything that was hard that could cut. And there they would tie that to the end of that scourge, and that wasn't enough. But then they would dip that scourge in a bucket of water to get weight on that leather and make it heavy. And and Catherine, I've been to Israel and one of the trips they showed me the scourging wall where they would tie that that person to. They weren't they weren't just hanging, they were pushed up against the wall and it was intentional. And that professional scourge would take that scourge with all of that weight. And thrust it into the back of that person. And the force of that thrust would literally push that body into that brick wall, that rock wall, until ribs could be broken. Teeth would be broken out of the mouth. The body was being crushed on the front as much as it was being ripped on the back. And they made a decision that they were giving Jesus 39 lashes. And the reason of that was it was against the law to go to 40 because that was called inhumane. And so they gave Jesus the very max of what he could get, 39 lashes. And they were very intentional with that scourging, 39 on the right side. I mean, 13 on the right side, 13 on the left side, 13 straight down the middle. And every one of them had a purpose. And that, that scourger would take that scourge and he would throw it into the body of Jesus and all that metal and nails and everything would grab hold of his flesh and then he would jerk and pull and he did it intentional so that he could dislocate the shoulder. He could rip the muscles and the tendons around the shoulder and then he did it on the other side to rip the muscles, rip the tendons because there was a purpose. They were about to hang Jesus on the cross. They ripped him down the middle of his spine so that his flesh would be opened up knowing his body was going to be pressed against the cross. He never said a word. He never said a word. Never said a word because truth needs no defense. It never needs to speak for itself because truth will always come out in time. And Jesus had already declared no man takes my life, I lay it down freely. Because three days later, Frank, I'm going to take it up again. You think you're in control, but I've got this. My father's had this the whole time. I'm the lamb that's going to be slain from the foundation of the earth. This has already been declared by my father in heaven. You can take my body, but you can't take my spirit. I'm going to resurrect three days from now. He had no reason to speak because life itself was going to speak for him three days from now. We're going to celebrate that part next Sunday. But he never said a word because he had to be sacrificed and he knew it. They then took him, they beat him with flexible rods. They beat him and they beat him, they beat his thighs, they beat his calves and there was a purpose in cutting through his flesh and ripping his thigh muscles. He's a mass of swollen meat. He was handed over to the guards and there he was blindfolded. He was spit upon the most indignant thing you can do to a human being. He was beaten with open and closed fists. He was kicked and asked, if you're the son of God, why can't you save yourself? Come on, Jesus, if you're really him, do it. Never said a word. He took a crown of thorns that made from thorns that were four to six inches long and wove it into a crown. They sat it on his head. They pressed it down until the thorns began to come and hit his scalp and then slide inside of his skin until it come down his neck. And They took the rod out of his hand. They began to beat him over the head, driving those thorns into his scalp. Never said a word. Because he knew if he did, the whole purpose of it would have no effect and you and I wouldn't be able to sit here today and hear this message. He had to be sacrificed. He wasn't just killed. He was sacrificed. They then took him. They put him under the weight of a cross and he carried his own cross up Golgotha. And there they laid him on that cross and they drove spikes into his hands and into his feet and they dropped him in a hole and there he hangs. The reason they ripped his shoulders and they busted his, his thigh muscles was Jesus now is dying and he's suffocating. And the only way he can survive is to pull on those spikes and to push on those muscles that are torn and ripped. He's got his shoulder muscles that are ripped out His spine is rubbing against an old rugged cross, a tree with splinters. And every time he would breathe, he would have to push and pull and gasp a breath of air. And back down, he would go. And to live, pull and push. And all the muscle and every tendon in his body screaming because he had to be sacrificed. And I pray to God that Transformation Church, we don't get so busy being religious that we forget the price that was paid, that you and I could come in here today and sing songs of you can do it again, because he sure can, because he sacrificed himself at the ultimate level that a person could go so that you and I could have a confidence in here today that what he did then, he can do today. He is a God that can endure the cross. He can endure the worst. He has suffered more pain than you and I will ever imagine. So before I can come to Jesus and go, you don't get it, he goes, oh, I've already got it because your pain can't even come close to what I've experienced for you. He was sacrificed. He paid an ultimate price to be sacrificed for you and I. They then put a spear in his side and thrust it into his body as he hung there. He wasn't dead yet. Nothing they had done had killed him and could kill him. When they thrust that spear into his side, scientists say that blood and water flowed from his body. And the only way blood and water can flow from a human body is if the heart erupts inside the chest cavity. Jesus didn't die from the beating, the scourging, the thorns. He didn't die from any of that. He died when mine and your sins were placed upon him. He couldn't handle it. When he became sin, he that knew no sin became sin that you and I might become righteous. He bore my sins in his body on the cross. And when mine and your sins was placed upon him, he became what he feared the most and that was sin. And the Bible said when the sins of the world was placed upon him, his heart literally erupted in its chest cavity and he died. He died so you and I could live. He suffered so you and I can be free. And he did it so there could be a Resurrection Sunday to put his head on the enemy one final time and say, you don't rule this thing any longer, I'm in charge. Come on. I told you it's gonna be a little Solomon here today, but I don't want you to ever forget this part of the story. Now next Sunday, we're gonna be dancing, jumping, shouting. But today I want you to know why you're doing it next Sunday. Come on, you with me today? And so as we look at this, let's go to the third part, and I've got to close here. The lamb is shared. The lamb had to be perfect. The lamb had to be slaughtered. And the lamb had to be shared. In Exodus 12, 4, it says, If any household is too small for the whole lamb, they must share with their nearest neighbor. And it was the law that all the lamb of that animal that was killed Every bit of that lamb had to be eaten that night. It couldn't be saved for the next day. It couldn't be thrown away. Every bit of it had to be eaten. So God told them, look, if if there's not enough in your family to eat all of that lamb, you go get your neighbors. And you bring them. And they all knew, but there could be no lamb left when they finished that feast that night. And Jesus was giving us a symbolic example of what the church is supposed to do with the lamb of God. That's been slaughtered, is that you gotta keep giving him away until there's none left. Come on, somebody, you getting where I'm going? Yes. That that you can't just you can't have leftovers from this Sunday to next Sunday. Amen. You you can't have leftovers and go, we'll give you what's left. No, God's saying, and 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 even one of the dear families yesterday asked me, I said, Pastor, how far are you think you're willing to take this thing for special needs? And and I said, We're thinking like summer camp, daycare, medical treatment, a full school, and one day a hospital. I said, because as long as there's one family in this town with a special needs child that's not getting what they need, we're gonna keep feeding the lamb. We're gonna keep giving the lamb away. Some have said, Pastor, we kind of like that old building over there. You know, it was smaller. We were more intimate, and you know, it was getting bigger. And, and if you see a lot of empty seats today, there's two reasons. One, we got a lot of people traveling. And number two, we've added another 50, 75 chairs in here getting ready for Easter Sunday. Amen, because we believe in for 800 to 1,000 people in here on Easter Sunday. That's not bad for a church just a few years ago that was running 150 on a Sunday morning, and 80% of that growth is new converts that came and tasted of the lamb and found out he's good. He's good. What am I saying to you today? Jesus is saying, you gotta keep giving me out as long as there's one drug addict out there as long as there's one person out there. Pastor, how long are you gonna push this thing? Until every human being in the city of Pensacola knows Jesus, we're gonna keep fixing a meal, feeding a meal, we're gonna hand out the lamb, we're gonna pass out the lamb. He said, go on the highways, the byways, the hedges, compel them to come in that my house might be full. There's still plenty of lamb, my friend. I said, there's still plenty of lamb, and there's still plenty to go around. And Jesus is saying, Go to the rich, go to the poor, go to the black, go to the white, go to the Oriental, go to the Asian, go to the wealthy, go to those that are good, go to those that are bad. But everyone that will, let him come and let him drink of this fountain and let him taste of the goodness of Jesus. And God is giving us an illustration in the natural of the lamb that that lamb had to be perfect. Jesus is a sinless one. That lamb had to be slaughtered. Jesus was slaughtered in the most inhumane way. But that lamb had to be shared. Yes. What's our role today? Number one, look at your notes as pray. How many will pray this week for Easter Sunday that we're going to see more people give their hearts to Jesus than we've ever seen on one Sunday morning in this house? How going to agree with me on that? And I want you to pray this week, pray this week, pray this week. See, I'm not all about, I grew up in Pentecost. I'm not all about you jumping in here and us having a big, and I love all the emotions. Wednesday night, man, with this altar was packed out. We were all over this place. The Presence of God was moving. But on Sunday morning, we have one target and that's bring as many unchurch of your family and friends in here and put an environment that they can meet Jesus and know Jesus and then we'll bring them back and shout in another meeting, amen? But I want an environment. And so we, we have one focus on Sunday mornings here and that's bringing the unsaved to know Jesus and, and getting them on that journey. But I wanna challenge you this week, pray, 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 and pray again for the unsaved. Number two is invite. Invite, invite, invite. Look at your neighbor and tell them, invite. Look at another table and tell them, invite more. We've got cards, they're out there. They're gonna have them in their hands. Make sure today before you leave that you pick up at least 10 of our Easter invite cards. And go to this week to your family, your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, and invite them and let them be your guests. As a proven fact, if you invite 10, eight will say yes and three will come. Eight will say yes and three will come. So take 10 cards and do that this week. How many knows at least 10 people that won't be going to church next Sunday unless something happens? Something's gonna interrupt their life. And I want you to get a hold of those 10. Don't go after people that you already know who's going to another church. Go after those that aren't going to church anywhere this week and let's make it an intentional week of invites. Pray, invite, and then we want you to participate. Number three, next Sunday, we want every one of you that will to be participating. If you're on the dream team, everybody's serving next Sunday. You may usually be a bi weekly person, but everybody's serving next Sunday. All right? And so come ready to serve. And if you're not on the dream team, come early. Just come early and get some coffee and hang out in the lobbies, hang outside. Look for people you don't know. Welcome them, greet them. Just be part of the team next Sunday and stay after church a little bit and do the same. And and here's our motto on Easter Sunday and most Sundays anyway, but come early, sit close because guests don't wanna be forced to the front and park far. Come early, sit close, park far so that we give our guests the closest parking spots because we're gonna run out around the building. Let's give them the closest ones in the back, come early, hang out, be a part of the team, and let's watch God transform many, many, many lives in Jesus' name. How many of you will do that for us this week and get ready for a powerful, powerful Easter Sunday? Amen? Amen. And so I wanna challenge us today that as we're watching God transform lives, we're watching God change lives, we're watching God set hearts free I want us to get ready for an amazing Easter Sunday, but you see, I could come in next Sunday and preach a good message and and do all of that. But if we don't understand why that message is here, I want us to always remember in this church, because if we don't remember this part of the story, we'll think we're doing it. We'll think we've got good enough to change people's lives and we're never that good. It's gonna take Jesus and his grace and his power to change a life. So I wanna challenge you to join me in prayer, in invites, and in participation, and let's get ready for the greatest Easter we've ever had at Transformation Church. Amen, amen, bow your heads with me. If you're here right now and you say, Pastor Dan, I don't wanna wait till Easter. We had nine people give their hearts to Jesus in the nine o'clock service this morning, that we know of, but if you're here right now and you say, I, I don't want to wait to Easter. I, I'm ready right now, man. You just got me with this thing about what Jesus has done for me. And today, I, I just know that I'm not a bad person, but I'm just not in a good place spiritually. And I need to make a commitment to Jesus today. I need him in my life. I need him in my heart. Pray for me, pastor. I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to point you out. I just want to pray a prayer for you. And if that's you right now, would you slip a hand up wherever you sit? Because I want to pray for you today. Jesus loves you. He loves you right where you are. He wants to change your life forever and forever. We wanna pray with you today, maybe on live stream. You need to pray that prayer today. Join me, church, as we pray together. Say, dear Jesus, I come to you now. You said in your word, if I would come to you, confess with my mouth that you are Lord, believe in my heart that you raised from the dead, I can be saved. So right now, I come to you. I confess, I believe, and I receive you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, let's celebrate together.